Hello and welcome to another episode of the Envisioneering Exchange, the podcast where industry leaders discuss the most important topics in HVACR. I'm your host, John Sheff, Dan Foss's Director of Public and Industry Affairs. Now you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Today, we're going to be talking about hydronics and hydronic HVAC systems, a topic that's really not very well understood. And I am thrilled to be joined by my guest, Jay Chan, Director of Strategic Markets at Chesapeake System. Now, Jay and I have worked together in the past. We'll get into a little bit of that in a minute. But Jay, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks for the introduction. Um, Again, my name is Jay Chan. I'm with Chesapeake Systems, and I am the Director of Strategic Markets. And to tell you a little bit about myself, I've been in the uh, commercial HVAC industry for 30 plus years. I've worked in the field during the early years, uh, starting off in building automation systems. I saw the uh, transition from pneumatic controls to analog electronics, and eventually where we are today with DDC controls. At that point, I took an interest in the mechanical side of things and uh, decided to go back to school for a mechanical engineering degree. From there, I went to work for a consulting firm as a uh, design engineer with uh, primarily mechanical systems, uh, working on designs for commercial office spaces, uh, laboratories, some specialized industrial process facilities, as well as uh, clean rooms and labs. Later, moving into sales, I worked for a rep firm that specialized in hydronic products and uh, did that for most of my uh, last 15 to 20 years, specializing in hydronic systems, and that's where I am today. So, you know, I work for Chesapeake Systems. Um, My role is to work directly with owners, uh, focusing on what we're calling our strategic markets, uh, government, schools, hospitals, institution accounts, and uh, also large property management. Now, full disclosure, Jay actually worked for Dan Foss uh, not too, too long ago before he was at Chesapeake. So we we have some familiarity with him there. But Jay, why don't you give us a little idea what uh, Chesapeake Systems actually does? So Chesapeake Systems is a regional manufacturer's rep. Uh, Most of our products are in hydronics focus. So, you know, cooling towers, pumping systems, heat transfer products, as well as power electronics for variable speed drive. And our mission and our focus is primarily to offer owners the ability to save energy with, um, you know, with all the products that we have to offer. And, yeah, I think one cool thing about Chesapeake is that they have a guy like Jay, where Jay is actually going out and engaging and users before these projects are conceived, understanding what their problems are. And like he said, he's one of the few people I know that really understands hydronics and understands how systems all work together. And so Jay and I worked on a project about a year ago that we were calling the synchronized hydronic loop. I know that can sound a little jargony, but we were really trying to get the idea that in these hydronic systems, you need to sync up all of the components that make up the system, the chiller, the boiler, the pumps, the air handlers, and the valves. Um, why is that important, Jay? And why is it kind of not well understood? That's a great comment to start off. It's important because we cannot look at a system based on individual components, which is pretty much what they do today. We look at the major components of a system, say, let's say a chiller, pumps, boilers. But what we don't look at is, is the smaller components that, you know, that add a lot of value uh, only because you don't see them. However, there's a symbiotic relationship and function and purpose of each component, whether it's something small or whether it's something uh, significant to the system. So let's uh, look at you know some of the things that I've seen is, is that let's say for instance, they take a, a non-condensing boiler and replace it with a condensing boiler without considering the impacts of the entire system. 
We see that all the time. Uh, we see that it impacts the balancing of the system due to pressure drop changes, in addition to um, trying to maintain uh, return temperatures to keep them above condensing conditions. So what we find is, is that the misapplication um, with the right intents of trying to save energy causes equipment failures within a period of five years or less. You and I, even in my limited experience doing this, have seen a lot of misdiagnosed problems, things that you know building operators may think is a pump problem, a chiller problem, but really it's a system problem. And you call them, and I kind of picked up on this, a sick building. I mean, it kind of explained the concept of balancing, how an out-of-bounds building can be, quote, sick. Sure. From a uh, balancing uh, perspective, uh, let's say, let's take a hydronic system. Let's consider the fact that they add a variable speed drive to a constant speed uh, pumping application. Uh, you know, it makes sense to put variable speed drives on pumps because uh, we can capture a lot of energy savings. However, in a constant speed system, they may have three-way valves and is balanced with manual balancing valves. And, you know, this type of balancing works great in a constant volume system. The pumps run at full speed and there's always plenty of upstream pressure for the valves to have enough CV to control the uh, flow into the coils. However, when we add a VFD for this type of system, we vary the speed of the pumps and we are now controlling to uh, a wide range of uh, upstream pressures. Uh, this can have a lot of impact to, you know, the flow to the coils. And when we don't have proper flow to the coils, we tend not to get the you know, right amount of heat transfer. And that tends to lead to um, poor temperature controls in the space. That also could lead to humidity issues, which then lead to mold issues. It would lead to an unhealthy building, let's just say, yeah. or sick building. This lack of balancing not just can lead to many things. Hunting, we call it, where wild temperature swings through the system, even though conditions really aren't changing. And so it can manifest itself in comfort issues. But like you said, also in real health issues where whole parts of buildings need to be shut down because they're so humid or mold issues. This is really um, kind of a systemic thing that can manifest in a lot of different ways and, and cause a lot of problems for commercially occupied spaces. Correct. It's mostly manifested in comfort. Um, then it can lead to a sick building. And it often leads to uh, shortened, um, you know, life cycles for you know the main components and um, you know, equipment. Uh, let's say, for instance, uh, we if we overflow a system, we could have low delta T conditions, and that could certainly uh, cause chillers to you know site short cycle because of the low delta T, and that can lead to shortened life. And yeah, so Chesapeake carries a, a Danfoss product called our ABQM pressure independent control valve, and this is kind of an alternative to the traditional manual control valves that you usually see. And it's a technology that is, you know, very well accepted in Europe, but really just starting to make its way over here and can really solve a lot of these issues, right? Yeah, absolutely. Going back to the conditions of uh, varying upstream pressures with when we add variable speed drives to pumps, the solution with an ABQM valve is the fact that it is a, um, unlike a manual balancing valve, which is a fixed position valve, it's a dynamic valve. So what it can do is it can actually adjust to the upstream pressure changes, uh, trying to regulate a constant pressure drop across a known orifice to a setting that we can actually set. So if we decrease in the um, upstream pressure, the valve notices a pressure drop change across that orifice, and then there's a diaphragm that will react to open the valve more to let you know the proper amount of flow through. So it's a great product in solving, um, you know, a problem that we see all the time with uh, the energy mandates by adding VFDs. 
So, you know, it's, we're not applying our best practices by using manual balancing valves. Uh, the ABQM would be a great solution to giving us the proper flow rates, which would give us the proper temperature controls and heat transfer uh, that's needed in the coils to be able to control the uh, temperature in the space. Yeah, and it's crazy some of the things that you see. I've seen some very expensive buildings with some very expensive brand new HVAC system, variable speed chillers, variable speed pumps, but where the pumps are running and the chillers running flat out all the time and spending a lot of money, wasting a lot of energy and kind of, you know, not utilizing the technology correctly because they have, uh, you know, these fancy pieces of equipment, but the system is not balanced and they're using manual balancing valves. Right. That's correct. That goes back to what I said earlier about um, applying right uh, principles. However, not looking at the uh, whole entire systems approach to uh, what we do, especially in hydronics. And yeah, so when Jay and I worked together on the, our synchronized hydronic loop project, we were really trying to pitch this idea to building owners of looking at the system as a whole and looking at components on many different levels and how they impact each other. And we did have some success, but you know, Jay, as a, as a business development executive, when you're talking to end users, when you're talking to building operators and you're introducing this idea, how do you talk to them about it? Well, with owners, um, what we've seen over the years is, is that um, you know, they've started to, I guess, water down the facility engineers. And uh, part of that may be because of lack of training uh, in the industry. And then they started to rely more on contractors. And uh, what that has left is um, a lot of uh, issues uh, with their building because they don't have anyone in-house uh, to keep up with everything on a day-to-day -day basis. They wait till things fail or they wait till things uh, manifest as a problem. And so when we have problems like that, that becomes an opportunity uh, for us to go in and talk to them about their system and not, let's just say, a, a boiler or a chiller when that manifests as a problem. So. You know, we're trying to look at it from a, you know, more of a holistic picture of uh, systems as opposed to looking at things from a componential outlook. But a lot of these guys, particularly these mechanical engineers, and they may be consultants, they may be facilities operators, but, you know, they've been doing this for a long time and they think they, they know their way around a building, but they have these issues. Is it difficult to convince engineers that changing a valve and an air handler can significantly impact the chiller performance, the pump performance, the system performance? It is. Sometimes, uh, you know, you get the aha moment uh, right out of the gate when you start to explain um, the problems all the way from the um, the the two types of heat uh, transfer that occurs, and that's the air side and then the hydronic side of, um, of the system. And then when you explain that uh, they're not getting the proper flow and that's why they're not getting the proper heat transfer and that's why that space or that part of the building is uh, has become a dead zone, let's just say. Sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. It's a huge undertaking. It's an industry change because the way we approach or most engineers and even uh, contractors approach thing is, well, this is the way I've done things for years and it's worked. However, um, it really doesn't work. And, you know, you really uh, can't see up in the ceiling to see, you know, what the flows are happening or what's happening at the um, the VAV boxes, band coil units or air handling unit coils. Uh, what we tend to, to see is when we are uncomfortable or we have issues within the building and sometimes by then it's too late. So we try to get them to visualize what's happening behind the scenes, uh, which is not so visible. Today, part of the problem is actually that, uh, you know, there's so many buildings that are now controls heavy. So we've layered PID over top of PID uh, to try to fix these problems. Well, you know, it does help in some cases in the comfort level. However, you know, we don't see what's happening behind uh, the scenes in the water side of it and we lose efficiency. Uh, we have a tendency to have low delta T to the chillers. And those are the things um, 
that are not as visible and uh, obvious. So those, that's the part of it that we have to start educating people. And it's a huge undertaking to get there. Yeah. And I think, you know, when we were working together, one of the things that we kind of ran into was just like you said, the controls industry and some of these, um, you know, controls companies were, were pitching their software solutions, but it's really not a software solution. It's a mechanical solution that will make the software operate much more efficiently and be able to control the building a lot more efficiency. But it's just funny that some of these controls companies are not uh, seeing the light and how their products can really work much better if the building is balanced mechanically. That's correct. I would agree with you 100% there. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about this, but kind of what are the barriers to implementing this approach from a technical standpoint? Is it as easy as just changing the valves out? I mean, what needs to happen? It can be. Um, let's say, for instance, we're looking at a system that we recognize has a problem that's been designed already, that's already been installed. The challenge there becomes in access to some of these valves, in addition to the owner not wanting to make piping changes, which can be very costly after the effect. So, you know, again, the part of us uh, working with owners to make sure that they understand what they're getting when they put together a comprehensive uh, solution, uh, which is our approach at this point, that they'll get exactly what they're asking for. I mean, part of it is, is that, you know, when you look at the uh, project life cycle, an owner may have a vision of what he's looking for. However, we deal with consulting firms or engineers that go in and they hear the owner and they may base it off of their interpretation of what the owner is looking for and they use their best practices and that may be balancing valves to them because um, they don't understand the dynamic conditions of balancing. And um, then the drawings or plans come out and it goes out to bid. Then the contractor interprets that engineer's design and then uh, may move forward with their interpretation. Uh, then it goes to vendors who you know put together bid packages for contractors to go in and bid and it's based on their interpretation as well. So there's so many interpretations of um, you know, what the owner may have originally wanted. And by the time it goes through that pinball machine of uh, bid, you know, the owner may not even get what he's asked for or the performance that he was expecting to see. And so that's where we're trying to um, stay ahead of that, get involved early on, educate the owners whenever we can so that we can kind of uh, stave off those long-term problems that exist. Yeah. So, I mean, this is one of the issues that Jay and I identified early on, and I think Jay knew it well before I didn't. This is what makes Chesapeake so special is that they really are going out there and trying to identify these buildings, identify these projects before maybe even the end user really even knows about them. And, you know, as opposed to a lot of rep firms who are sitting back at the end of that supply chain that Jay just described and taking the order from their vendors, you know, Chesapeake is really out there developing these projects. And that's why Jay's able to help so many building owners, you know, identify these sick buildings and really solve the problem instead of just being part of the supply chain. And because once it gets sent out to bid, it's, it's kind of over because, um, you know, like Jay said, these contractors, a lot of them will, will just do what's comfortable. And this is not necessarily comfortable, but it is a technology that can solve a lot of these problems. So, um, you know, it's a technical issue and it's a market issue too. And, and some of that supply chain needs to be broken a little bit to kind of get at these difficult projects. And so, Jay, how do you see this? I know you've described it's a little bit tough to, to break that supply chain, but how do you see this market evolving right now? Do you see more acceptance of this? I mean, do you think it's going to get easier? You're still kind of fighting the tide here to get this concept kind of widely accepted. It's tough. Um, you know, when we focus more on a regional market, it's harder to um, get more of a national standard to create a better system utilizing uh, the best practices here. 
I mean, you know, all we can do is work in our local markets, uh, but it really does have to be something that, um, that reaches far beyond that. And I think that could be where Danfoss comes in to help out because you guys are an industry leader in this uh, type of environment and you guys could probably influence on a much wider uh, level to help us um, get these standards set in place. Yeah, well, you know, we're trying and we're actually uh, taking the pilot project that you and I worked on and moving it into other regions. So, you know, the team is out there working to kind of introduce this technology. But yeah, right now it is kind of region by region, unfortunately. Now in the DC market, we've seen a lot of momentum towards uh, some of these building emissions laws. And I know DC has a relatively strict one coming up with some financial penalties for non-compliance. I mean, do you see that kind of moving the needle as building owners really look to get under these emissions caps and save energy and really taking a hard look at their buildings? They are. I think part of um, the issues that I'm seeing is, is that uh, ESCOs get involved and uh, depending on the level of understanding of an entire system, it could vary. I mean, there's been times when I've gone into projects where ESCOs have uh, guaranteed performance and energy savings and they really don't understand hydronics. So uh, that part of it is uh, somewhat lacking. And, you know, we start to see the problems that we had discussed earlier. Boilers, uh, short cycling, chillers, short cycling. Um, you know, they don't understand the piping systems, you know, primary, secondary, even tertiary systems. And a lot of that has to come into play in laying out best practices for a hydronic system, depending on what equipment that you're going to be putting in and how you utilize it. Yeah, and just so for those who don't know, the ESCO that you refer to, energy services companies, these are kind of some of the controls companies or the performance contractors that you might see out there doing some of this work. And you see a lot of these, you know, chiller plant optimizations and stuff like that, but they don't necessarily address the balancing of the building, the the terminal points, the air handlers, and where the that water is actually flowing, the heat exchange and, and all that heat transfer and all that. So not a lot of people out there with a comprehensive view of how these systems work. So I think more of that is definitely needed in the market. Jay, do you see, I know you're doing it, but do you see a lot of other experts out there who really have this understanding? There are a few, but, um, you know, it's not an industry trend or it's not being utilized by most. Yeah, that's a shame. And definitely so that Dan Foss is, uh, is looking to change. Well, Jay, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Envisionary Exchange. I'd like to thank and Jay Chan, Director of Strategic Markets at Chesapeake Systems. And don't forget to subscribe to the Envisionary Exchange podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever it is you listen to your podcast. Lastly, if you really enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and share it with your friends. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening. I'm John Sheff, Director of Public and Industry Affairs at Danfoss, and I'll talk to you next time. This podcast is for information purposes only. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Envisioneering Exchange podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and not necessarily represent those of Danfoss LLC and its employees. Danfoss LLC is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening on this site. This podcast series does not constitute professional advice or services. This podcast, including Danfoss LLC and the producers, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects of information contained herein. Opinions 
opinions of guests are their own, and Dan Foss LLC in this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about the guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast. The developers of the Envisioneering Exchange podcast site assume no liability for any activities in connection with this podcast or for use of this podcast in connection with any other website, computer, or playing device.